said to her, are you feeling suicidal now? I don't know why I'd asked her that night. Less than normal. I think I'm okay. Yeah, she was telling me. It was Thursday before the Tuesday. But you know, if you do it, I'm gone two days later. And I meant it. I really, really meant it. Wow. All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 32, I believe we're at. I'm losing track, which is, of course, a good thing. At this point, uh, we don't know when we're going to release it, so it's... Yeah, that too. Welcome to episode 30-something. Exactly. But um, we have a very, very special guest here with us. Uh, but before we get to the guest, I just want to ask Zach, first of all, how are you doing? Doing good. Did a little physical therapy this morning. I've got tape running down my back. That's okay. supposed to be doing something. I don't know what. Okay, that's but good. We're feeling good. Awesome. How all right, are you? So we have- I'm doing awesome. Thank you, Zach. Thank I you like for your asking. Shirt. Thank you. Um, okay, so we have a very two very special guests, I should say. Uh, we have uh, Avrami Garari. Avrami. Avrami. With an E. Avrami with an E. So I, I was going to ask you that. Is it Avrami or Avrami? Um, so we had Avrami. Chabad. Got it. Also, easily the cooler spelling of that name. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have Avrami Garari and we have... Adina Nenner with us. Yes. So this pod is extremely, extremely important to me, as everyone here knows. I have been a, a very big advocate and I'm yeah, a very big advocate for mental health stuff. I think we're in a generation right now that is severely afflicted uh, by mental health, uh, significantly more, it seems, than any other generation in recent history. So given that that is, you know, where we stand in today's, you know, day and age, uh, this podcast is very important to me and very near and dear. Um so I wanted to just start off um, by, you know, obviously, Avrami, you have a daughter, Olav Shalom Yocheved, right? That's correct. Um, I wanted to start off, you know, by getting, a, 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 in your words, a quick synopsis um, of what Yocheved was like um, and just get an understanding of what she was like as a kid, really, primarily. Uh, thank you for having me, for number one. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. I appreciate being here. Thank you for being here. Um, Yecheved was the perfect kid. She was well-behaved. She was kind. She was gentle. She did well in school. She was a great sister, a great daughter. Um, But she had a disease, which only, you know, reared its ugly head, I'd say, towards the end of elementary school and throughout her high school years. Other than that, she was an amazing friend. I'm really, really excited that Adina is here because Adina was her very closest friend in uh, in high school. And she can tell you more about that. But uh, she was just a wonderful person. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you're going to find anyone in the world who knew her that will have anything negative to say about her. She's just a beautiful person. And... Uh, as we'll perhaps talk about, you know, sometimes those kinds of people that are, are so affected by the, the shtusim, you know, that go on in everyday lives, they just can't handle, they can't handle that which is thrown at them. And not necessarily do they do they take their lives out of trauma-induced incidents, but just, and just because they just can't, uh, you know, uh, resolve the differences between who they represent and who they are and the world we live in. Got it. And they can't... Uh, you know, they can't, what's the word? Uh, you know, um, t- uh, calibrate it. That's word. Would you say that there's like a little aspect of like very sensitive people who are so warm and caring when they meet like an, un- like the world, which is filled, like, is, is it a sensitivity thing? 
where the world, like the 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 bad parts of living, affect them more because mm-hmm. of their sensitivity, mm-hmm. and their grace. So before we get deep into this, into this conversation, besides Adina being uh, I was French, also a PhD grad student <laughs> in psychology. Really? Sure so she's going to check us on all the details. We're going to all the things we're going to be saying. I'm still a student. I uh, I don't no. think I could check you. You know yet. more than we do, <laughs> right? That might but, be true. But my 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 layman's uh, answer to that is that in her case. Um, it didn't bother her that much. You know, when people, she just, you know, found the good in people and she tried to be good to others. And, uh, and, but yeah, a lot of sensitive people struggle. You know, they're all, those that are sensitive to bad word that uh, they can't, they don't have the resilience to, to, uh, to knock it off and to, um, you know, push it away. Is it cause for, for mental health uh, problems or directly suicide? I don't know. Um, I want to get to Adina in one second. I just want to expand on what Zach was saying because you literally took the words out of my mouth. I think sometimes when people are like just super sensitive, neshamas and souls, the world is is not a sensitive kind place. It's just not. not I think always. That a lot of times not it's not. I, I would, you know, it's a tough world out there. And I think that like Zach is saying a lot of times um, when people are, are very sensitive, very caring and, you know, like I said, the world's a tough place. And a lot of times it, it just affects them more. So I, it's, it's funny. I was literally thinking what you were saying. Adina, can you, um, when did you first uh, meet Yochaved? I met Yochaved in 2010, first year of high school, ninth grade. First year of high school. What, which it. high school is this? Shalhavet, which is no longer in existence, what, what What type of high school is that? Modern Orthodox, all-girls high school in, in, in five minutes away, Valley Street. Oh, okay. <laughs> Where do you grow up? I grew up in West Hempstead. You grew up in West Hempstead, very, very cool. Um, so when you met Yochaved, what was your initial... Um, observation of her. Did she strike you as just a, any regular girl? Was this was she at this time already being affected? Can I just interject and say why didn't you ask the, the obvious question, which is we live in Kranites with a Chabad family. Yeah, I, that was. I how, how did you have it land up in, in the five ten? Uh, that's the question. Okay, please go ahead and share. Right? Isn't that the you know a mukta Right? So I guess we can talk about that and talk about this. No, but Chabad went to. Uh, sorry for interrupting, Andina. Please. Chabad went to a Chabad school in Kranites. Uh, very strict about school in Granites. And things started unraveling in 7th or 8th grade. And uh, we realized that uh, a Chabad high school is not in her future. And we started looking for schools. And the, the I wanted, we wanted, my wife and I, we wanted a school with, um, with that is rigorous academically, that is not demanding, religi- religiously as demanding as the school she came from. But at the same time, is not a school that's going to be anti-Chabad, right? So that was mm. very important, important to us. So when we interviewed uh, Rabbi Friedman and Mrs. Uh, Eisenman, Mrs. Eisenman you know, that, that was part of the discussion. They proved themselves that that was indeed the case. They were not, you know, they had the Hoshita, they're from the, uh, what the rabbi's name, but they have their own Ashkafa uh, and so on. And they were very, very supportive. And that's how she landed up in, in uh, at Shalhavet. And in fact, they told us later when, she, when, when, when my, my wife and I walked into Shalavet getting for the interview, the initial interview, they thought we were nuts. What's his family from Kranai? So who are they? Right. And why do they want to be part of our school? But she landed up in that school. Go ahead, Adina. Uh, yeah, so I met her when she ended up in that school. And she was, I would say, really smart, quiet, and sweet. That was that was my initial impression of her. I think that as I got to know her throughout high school, yes, she was sweet, and I agree. You're not. No one's ever going to say something bad about her. But as her friend... She was super snarky. I could always, she was, um, like we, we could really, uh, 
get into it about about um, different topics, about different classes, people in our grade. Everyone is great, but definitely people in our grade. Um, and she, you know, I I think that she I only knew her once she was sick. Right? Like I only knew her starting in ninth grade. She had already developed an eating disorder by then. And so when Remy and Dini talk about um, how she was super carefree and everyone always, you know, she she would do anything. I didn't know her like that at all. I knew her as someone who would completely rip up a paper if there was a single typo on it or if her handwriting wasn't perfect, she, you know, would not let me use it for notes or if she ever missed a day of class, I had to make sure that my notes were perfect so that I can send them to her. Um that's kind of how I knew Yochavet and it's just always interesting to hear about how she was before she had an eating disorder because I I never knew that person. Wow, do you think that the that personality of like the, the you know the intensity and the high level of perfectionism is like similar like goes hand in hand with an eating, eating disorder in any way or is that just totally not connected what do you think of doing that i mean as someone who worked on an eating disorder eating disorder unit last year i do have a little bit more of a psychological and medical perspective on eating disorders mm-hmm. and it is a lot of times the way that eating disorders start is people are looking for a sense of control and they find it within food and unfortunately it's really hard once you are so malnourished, your brain stops working, right? Like we've all been hangry before. So you mm-hmm. kind of just devolve. And that is likely what happened with Yochavet. I didn't know her as her therapist or as her doctor, so I can't speak definitively. But I just know that, the, that that's the way eating disorders work. And it's, it's, it's the sense of control that then permeates every other aspect of your life. That looking it. for control? Yeah. Interesting. Was she open with you about her eating disorder? I didn't know about it until senior year. She didn't tell me about it until it was known, you know, until she was already in treatment in senior year of high school. Okay. Avrami, when did you find out that she had an eating disorder? So let's talk about that because it's very interesting. So when did I find out? Uh, We found out in elementary school, towards the end of elementary school. But I can tell you that what I know about it today and what I knew about it then is completely different. How can anybody expect to understand what an eating disorder is? You know, any normal person who doesn't know anything about eating disorders, they think, person thinks they don't look good, you know, they're too fat, I'm going to go and starve. Or in, in her case, anorexia. When I say eating disorders, I'm talking about anorexia. Um, it wasn't, I don't think it was the case in her case. And, uh, okay, so she went to a uh, doctor, there was, a, there was a clinic, Dr. Cohen, and some here, somewhere here in Long Island, where she got uh, seen by a doctor for eating disorders, and um, I don't really know what, she, what they did there back it it, well, it was managed it wasn't managed it was a battle for years and years and years um and your initial question was just remind me because i wanted to um i i was asking if you ever oh how do, how do we when know? You know when you right, know right when you found out yes yes we truly truly know or understand because we knew from very early on i don't think we knew what to do do about it and that's really Anything can be achieved by this discussion is to make you know how to how to uh, make caregivers or loved ones parents aware of the signs and what and what and then what to do about it and, and what can it you, is can you, and what can it you is speak not. on that what's that can you speak on those signs can I speak on those signs I can only speak on those signs as a, as it pertains to my particular case I think every case would be different right yeah uh, the, the signs can be different in our case the, the obvious thing was that she would. Uh, not eat a lot. She was obviously underweight. Um, a common 
common practice with um, eating disorder patients, and I'm going to correct me, is ho- food hoarding. Yeah. What is, I don't know what that means. Food hoarding means I would go to her room and in her, in her she would nibble at a, at a piece of uh, cake, let's say, or a, or a cookie, and then put it into a tissue and then put it in her closet and would sit there for months sometimes. Like this, why I, why I still don't understand. There's a lot to this day I don't understand. Um, and what really got things going eventually, like in a real, real way, was uh, when another friend of of, um, of Yechavid said to Yechavid, I think based on eating disorder, right? If you don't, if you don't, she went to and he said, if you don't tell the school psychologist, I will. He was close to their friend as well. And uh, and Yechavid was forced to tell the school psychologist. One thing led to another and she ended up, my wife told me, well, taking Yechavid, we're going to, we're going back to see Dr. Cohen, L.I.J., I think. And uh, that's what happened that day. This is in senior year. All right? Yeah. This is in senior year. And, and then I got a call, and this is, again, under the umbrella of things that I don't understand or didn't understand. Right. Which is why it's so difficult to navigate and for all from families and Jewish families and any family to navigate this kind of scenario. As uh, my wife, Dini, calls me up and says, uh, well, we're at the doctor and we're not coming home. I said, uh, why not? I mean, it's a doctor's appointment. I'm sure the doctor spoke to her and, you know, either is giving her medicine for depression or giving her guidance on how to maintain her, her weight or you know, what's, what's, what's the problem? We're going to hospital. Why is she being admitted? You have any self-harming. What self-harming? The first time in my life I'd ever heard that term. Did you know about it in senior school? In senior high school? No. The thing I... about self-harm? I had no idea about self-harming. I, I, I didn't know. You didn't know about the concept. Concept. I, I didn't know about the concept for sure. So it turned out that Yechavid had been cutting herself with a razor blade. Now there are various forms of self-harm. That's the form that she chose. And as a result, she had uh, multiple scars on her body, like hundreds probably, you know, obvious scars. And that was enough of the, enough for them to to. Uh, so you got to go to hospital. This is obviously very serious and she needs to be admitted and uh, treated for whatever she's been treated for. There's obviously something else going on over there. I said, okay, I'm in the car, I'm on the way. Now, I will say, we can have a whole discussion about HIPAA, which uh, one day, if it's my dream to reform the HIPAA laws in this country, uh, I will say that, and even though she was underage, the doctor knew about the cell phone before we did and didn't tell us. So... When was this? When she was in seventh and eighth grade, or yeah, even earlier. They, she, now there were there were doctors that knew about her self harm, and didn't tell. They didn't, didn't tell us because of HIPAA. Because I don't know what. Because HIPAA would have allowed them allowed them to tell us right. that she was underage. So I don't know what the reason is to this day. Interesting. But uh, I think doctors today are super super uh, sensitive about doing or saying the wrong thing for fear of losing their license, mm-hmm. and uh, they'll go lift them you know, to uh, to make sure that. You know that, that nothing is done in any correct way, and that could that could cause harm. I think it's very often negligence practice. Yeah, no, I mean yeah, they, they don't want to be sued. Yeah, well, yeah, then exactly. So the 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 basic laws of HIPAA are that uh, we talk about this now, but basic laws, and you can correct me again, is that you're not allowed. If you have a patient, you can't talk about that patient to anyone else unless they sign a release, right? Or if they are demonstrating that they'll be a harm to themselves or to others. So she was demonstrating that she was harmed herself. Right. So that's, well, let's put that aside for a second. And she was underage. Let's put that aside. However, if a, if a, if a, if a patient comes along, I believe, if a patient comes along and demonstrates behavior 
that yeah. that if the doctor could go to the parent and in a way that would not um, would not muddy the waters insofar as the the doctor relation uh, doctor relationship with the with the therapist you know with the patient uh, would not be muddied to say you know what you know what guys Yechevet has this thing and uh, this is what you should be doing I'm, I'm advising you to either study up on it go for therapy yourselves but none of that is possible because of HIPAA which I think is a mistake and I've spoken to many therapists about this and they agree with me but those are the current laws in, in the United States so at any rate so she went to she went to um, she was self-harming and she and she kept it a, a complete secret and she kept it a complete secret by covering up it wasn't necessarily this frummy girl that wanted to cover up Tell you about that more later. But she did cover up. She had long sleeves. I remember even in the ambulance and the the the, the um, well, not that ambulance. She, so she was in hospital. Then she came home. And then she was part of a outgoing out, outpatient facility called Renfrew. 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 Am I pronouncing yeah. correctly? Renfrew. There's yeah. several locations. It's an eating disorder a clinic. But she would go there in her senior year. Uh, uh, in the of high school, she would go there on an outpatient basis. And then one day we get a call from the place. We've called the cops. And the reason we called the cops is because Yechavid has said that she's suicidal. And I'm like, well, why don't you call the parents first? All the protocols were call the cops. And I was very, very, very upset about that. It sounds logical. Thank God President Obama um, was having trouble navigating the city that day. So, so which which meant that it took a long time for the ambulance to get to Ranford Manhattan. I got there first, and I walk in and I'm saying, "Well," and there's two cops standing at standing at you know to heaven's door. And I said, "Well, where that? Where's your where's your ambulance that you called? You know, well they're not here yet." And I said, "What about what about Atzala? And let's call Atzala. What's Atzala? So I pull it up on Wikipedia. Here's Atzala, and with my other hand I call Atzala. Who were there in two minutes? Unbelievable. That's Hatzala. Yeah, that's Hatzala 101. Why, why the cops? I, I, that, that's, they call the cops every time. I'm confused about so that. Okay. I mean, call 911. They call 911. Okay. Yeah, right. I mean, okay. a cop's come, but the ambulance no, comes also. I mean, the the issue that I had was I thought, you know, Renfrew, it should be a place where there's a psychiatrist on, 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 on location. Someone's suicidal. Okay. Let's try to manage the situation. Let's not try to exacerbate it. Call the parents in. Let's discuss it. Let's discuss next moves. Their go-to thing, calling the cops, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's so useful. I feel like if someone is in a lot of distress, the appearance of cops in the room is not going to minimize their distress. Exactly right. Thank you. Exactly right. Escalation, not de-escalation. It's escalated. So the, the the guys came. Why did I mention that particular point? Because they came and they said, "Okay, we're going to take it to hospital." They, they released. They, they ran for you. It's an, it's an ambulance service. They had, they had no choice but to say, "Okay, Dundee, you know, you're signing off on it." You're taking her, so they took her. And I remember in the ambulance, they wanted to give her fluids. They wanted to inject, uh, you know, fluids. In the and she was so shameful or maybe worried that we would see her scars. And I said, I, I knew she had scars. I said, Mama and I, we're sitting in front. You go back with the guy. He's going to do the thing, and that's it, you know. So he did. And obviously, he was very good about it, very uh, diplomatic about it, and making sure that uh, she did not understand that we understood that she had uh, these these scars, and she, the ambulance took her to some hospital in, in uh, also Long Island, and then we sat there for a long time waiting. 
And eventually, Khabar must have calmed down and said, you know, this is, this is bullshit. Let's just go home, you know? Yeah. So we got cleared by the nurse and we did go home. When did you come out? Publicly or to me? Publicly. Oh, maybe 2019? 2019 is her Came out too as self-harmer. As someone who's suffering from mental illness. Oh, she, on suffering. Instagram. She, she started posting on Instagram, I want to say, after her first attempt. After first I want to say after her first suicide attempt, she she started then publicly posting on Instagram on her story. She would, um, there was this thing called Telenim. I don't know if you know what it is. Telenim? Yeah, it's this website where you can anonymously anonymously post a question and then someone can answer that question. Okay, sure. Whatever. Um, so she started doing that. She started answering all these questions about mental health, about her experience. She started advocating for different mental health topics. Um, and she really opened up about her experience. What was she like in person as a friend? Was she totally like socially normal? Like, would you be able to pick up on anything of any of the mental health issues? She was totally normal. She, like, you wouldn't know if you just met her in person that she, that there was anything going on beneath the surface. Right. Wow. Was she like a particularly smart person? Yeah. Particularly smart kid? <laughs> yeah. She was the valedictorian of our high school class. Really? Yeah. She had 4.0 GPA in college. She... I'm in a PhD program right now. She was the one who was editing all of my stuff to apply. She was oh, the one wow. editing my college papers. She yeah. was managing to do all this while in obviously tremendous emotional mental pain. Yeah. Well, she did take time off after 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 high school. She'd want to go. To, she went to go to nursing school right away, and uh, she took a year off after having been accepted at Macaulay. And then even after Macaulay, she took a year off to apply for, for grad school. But she did have uh, time on her hands here and there. Got it. So you mentioned that she already in ninth grade for high school, she went to a different, you, you didn't send her to a typical Kabat school. No. Um, you didn't feel that was best for her. Um, I feel like a lot of times, uh, sometimes religious trauma and things of that nature, where either it could come from a school, friends, home, whatever that is, but that could contribute a lot to low self-esteem, unhappiness, depression, and things of that nature. Do you feel that that was a catalyst in this case, potentially? So thank you very much for bringing that up. I appreciate it. Because I just heard a saying the other day that your kids, uh, your kids, your, your parents grew up the first part of your life and then your kids grew up the next part of your life. All right. So, so on the one hand, you know, I'm sure that, you know, that you have it had told Adina and, and others, and others, you know, what terrible parents we were and all the things we did and so on. And much of it is true and some of it is not true. And some of it is just due to the fact that we were disciplining, whatever the case might be. When it comes to religious trauma, and I and I think that you have, a, I think that Adina can test to this. It did not apply in our case at all. That was, in fact, the one thing that I avoided at all costs. And um, when you had called me last week, and like I told you, you know, your name came up, and I said, "Hey, I, t I spoke to this guy before," and then you reminded me that we had spoken after a speech you had given, and I had some, I had taken some issue with things you were saying. And then you said to me, we, we agreed in the end, and I don't remember what we, what we even argued about. But then I went, in preparation for this, I went back and I listened to your whole, your whole uh, presentation again. Your presentation was about just that. You called this my gaifer of, uh, of religious, religious expectations and so on. In fairness, I didn't call the, the Magaifa religious expectations. I was more calling the Magaifa the fact that we have we young have so adults much, right. met with severe mental health issues. Right. That's the Magaifa, I so, think, part of contributing I, to that. So I actually think you, you, the, the, the points that you brought up were, were, were excellent because it is getting in the, in the way of a lot of um, situations that can be avoided. Thank you. The only question I would say to that is, does it mean that 
the grass screen on the other side and where there's no religious expectations, uh, do we have less incidence of mental health disease? And the answer is unequivocally no. Um, I can tell you in my case, I mean, just that very fact, you have to understand, we, we, we took a lot of flack for, for taking her out of Chabad. I come from a very well-known Chabad family. Oh, can I use the word? Are you Gej? Yes. Yeah. But I don't want to use that word. Can I just say one thing? I don't think, just to clarify, I don't think that it's a religious issue. I think it's the way religion is used. Correct. I mean, it's I, a I, person issue. Correct. I, you, what you said was beautiful. You said I just want we, to have, to, we have to impart a joyful, a joyful Judaism. And I thought, and by the way, Chabad, I mean, you yeah. know, that's what we do. So we have to impart a joyful Judaism. And even in Chabad families, you know, there are these expectations and other problems and so on. So in my case, in our case, I mean, I was ready with complete clarity to say, this is not the place for, for Yechavad. Uh, she needs to go to a school that's not Chabad, where her expectations of dress and behavior are not the same as it were, you know, if it was the same in Chabad school. And um, so be it. And even fast, food, fast forward many, many years ago, many years later, uh, there's nothing that... Um, there are many things that I'm not proud of, but I can tell you, and this is probably why that your talk triggered me a little bit, because this is the one area where I'm totally proud of how I handled it from a religious perspective. I just, I couldn't give a shit. I just, yeah. I, don't, I just didn't care. And in fact, um, I mean, I can tell you the story at length if you want, but I can tell you that she wore pants for the last year of her life, and I encouraged her to wear pants. I was one who came to her and I said, I think, I think uh, you need to buy a new wardrobe. Uh, and start wearing pants, and I think you look beautiful in it, and I'm going to, and she did. And uh, so doesn't apply, it, it didn't really apply to us in any way. And um, I mean, would no. you agree? Yeah, totally agree. And just so you know, I don't know if I ever told you this, but that was something that when, when you told her that she should wear pants, um, that she called me and she was crying. She was so happy about that. I don't know yeah, if I well, ever told you that. It's small well, things I'll, sometimes like that. that can make, it's small things like that that can sometimes make a... Well, maybe it's small to some of us, but right. some people in America. No, I don't think it's such a small thing. I mean, it's seemingly small, but I think it's it's permission from your parents to be yourself. It's well, support from from a parental figure to be to to express yourself as as you are, and and well, you know, like you said, it's not full license. You still had religious expectations on her. You put her in a from school, but there's there's levels of religious expectation. I didn't put her in, in Shalhev because I had religious expectations. Well, I think she had religious expectations for herself, but okay. she just didn't want to fly so strong. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, valid, right. If, if she right. had told me, I want to go to public school, I, I'm, I'm not sure what I would have said. I would have said, we live in Brooklyn, absolutely not. <laughs> like, nothing happening. If you're living, you know, in a fancy, you know, residential area, m maybe. You know, maybe, right. maybe not, you know. Um... This, I, I want to ask a question because we're actually getting to something that I think is important. So obviously in our community and probably most communities, but there's a tremendous, tremendous focus um, and scrutiny, so to speak, how our children turn out, right? And naturally, I think that there's a lot of, you know, typical shame and security, embarrassment when our children don't turn out typical or exactly as yeah, we would I know you know, spoke expect. about that, yeah. And I wanted to ask you, first of all, did you experience any of that? And if you did, what could you share with people, other parents who are going through that right now and are maybe not really handling their kids properly because they're so affected by their own shame and insecurity about how other people are viewing them? Depends on the age. Depends on the age. So it's okay to tell a 12-year-old 
who comes to you and says, I want a smartphone. We talk about social media. Does I want a smartphone? No, I'm not giving you a smartphone. Not because of any religious reasons, maybe because of psychological reasons. And most importantly, I'm your, I'm your parent, not your friend. So that's, that's okay. The problem arises in later years when parents still try to hold on, 17, 18, 19, 20. There's a girl in Crown Heights that I can say, I can proudly say that the reason she can even walk into her parents' house is because I told the parents, you've had 20 years of trying to, you know, impart your religious values. We're done. You're done. Your job right now is just to love her. And, uh, and, and, and that's it. So she's wearing pants. You got to let her in. You can't make this rule that you can't come into your house because she's wearing pants. So my message is to, um, and it's all going to be done through Shalom, you know, trying to, like you said, you know, you'll feel, you'll feel happy in a happy way. Anything that's going to be draconian is not going to have any effect, even from a very young age. And most kids don't learn from being told what to do, but being, they learn from example anyways. So hopefully those discussions won't be even necessary. Um, I, I guess my, my question was more, though, what how you responded, you know, not looking back 2020's hindsight, but in those moments, you know, dealing with that, do you have any lessons to give parents that are going through it right now or truly looking back on it now as well about like how you would tell someone to deal with their own feelings of, let's say, insecurity that their kids are not turning out exactly how they wanted them to? Well, this is a question that can be asked of any community, not only the religious community. Fair. I agree. Right? So, you know, this vicarious living has to be stopped. You know, this, you know, but parents trying to live their lives their, through their, their kids. Their lives, their own failings through their kids has got to stop. And I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. And I've worked, I think I've worked very hard on myself over the years. And you've never taught me and my two sons now are teaching me the process of learning. And as I always uh, am very careful to say, I wasn't the perfect parent. I made a lot of mistakes and I own those mistakes. But now that I'm on the other side of it in some way, and I look at other parents with their kids, just at this point, you know, like you said, just the only thing you can do is just show them the joyful side of Judaism. And if you're a, I have another friend who's a Yale-educated lawyer who's not religious, and he's upset with his kids, one, uh, I was say to me, identifying details, because his kids are not going through the same kind of Ivy League um, education that he is. And I'm saying, you know, just, just stop it, you know, just, you know, just, just be a parent and be there for them and understand what they're doing. I really like how you said that earlier. Like, I really like how it's like, at 12, like, you're the parent, like, yeah. you can parent. That's okay. But like, kids 20 years old, like, you're done. You're done. Just love them. You're done. You're done. You're done. I, I think a lot of people need to hear that. I think a lot of parents need to hear that. Um, That's beautiful. Adina, um, when you were in school and as a friend to Yochavit, right, did she show like a significantly higher level of compassion and sensitivity to, uh, to, to yourself, to friends, uh, that maybe you think was influenced by the fact that she was going through such an intense emotional journey? That's a really interesting question. I think that you know, throughout, especially um, since her first attempt in 20, November 19, 2019, um, our release. Sorry to interrupt you. How old was she then? 23. The first attempt, she was 23. Yeah, she was 23. Um, our relationship was a little different in that, in that last year between her first attempt and when she was successful. Uh, and she was, our, our relationship was a little bit more predicated on her needs and on she was going on her going through a really challenging time. I think before that, um, when things were maybe a little bit calmer for her. Yeah, I, I do think that part of it was that she did have this compassion for people because she knew that 
people were going through things that no one else knew about right. in the same way that she was. It's so funny that you just brought this up because I, I wanted to to ask you about that. A lot of times, especially with mental health issues and issues that there is no clear example of how to quote unquote fix, such as someone has the flu. Okay, let's wait 10 days, be there for them, and then it ends. Uh, with mental health issues, people go through, it, it gets extremely grueling on family members, friends, when it kind of just never ends and the person needs, you know, significant, uh, a significant shoulder to lean on it. It could get really grueling and tiresome. Um, do you have any recommendations to people who are experiencing that of how to handle, maybe set boundaries, how to handle, you know, those types of situations and, and kind of treading that balance of like being there for them, but at the same time, kind of like living your own life, because that probably yeah. is something very difficult. Yeah, I think that it was exacerbated for me being a therapist. I was in my first year of graduate school when she had first attempted. And so I was already someone else's therapist. And so now here's my friend who's maybe going through the same things as my patients are going through. And she's my friend and I'm a therapist who's, in, you know, kind of training for all of this stuff. And it was really hard for me to set those boundaries. Before that, I think when she had attempted, it was it was everything was in the open, right? Like her parents knew about it. There was no secrets anymore. And it was all much more serious because now it was like, okay, all the theoretical, I don't want to be alive anymore or all that stuff. It was very real. You try, you tried to do something to kill yourself. It didn't work, but you tried. And so after that, I was very open with Avremi and with Dini. Anytime you'll have it texted me, I see something seemed a little bit off. She was having a really bad day. I wasn't there. I was you know, an hour away from her. I couldn't go help her. And so I would immediately text Dini and say, I think you'll have a need someone to check in on her. Like I would, it was, and she, and you'll have a new, you'll have a new, I, I never kept anything from her. Um, but I think advice is that you're, you're not their therapist. You're not their doctor. You're not their parent. You can't, even if you are their parent, like there's only so much that you can do. And, and you need to set those boundaries with the, per, with that person, assuming they can have those boundaries set with them. You'll have it, and I were very honest with each other. We actually had a system um, of when she was in distress, what level of distress it was. Is it just like, hey, I'm kind of bored and maybe I'm always a little bit suicidal, so I want to talk to you versus, you know, if someone doesn't help me right now, I'm not safe. So we we had that and she would kind of tell me um, what level she was at. And, and I had a lot of pressure when she was at that, you know, level three of I'm going to hurt myself if you don't talk to me that... That was a lot of, lot of pressure on myself, but that was also when Dini and Avrami came in and I was like, okay, go so for it. So you would message them when that happened? Yeah. So this way you weren't, got it. And what Avrami, what about for you? Like, how would you advise people, obviously you went through it, of like still managing to function your day-to-day -day life with like, it's constant, you know, obviously you want to be there for your child limitlessly, but we only have so much capacity and energy, right? The lesson that I learned is that anyone who's in a in a position of care dealing with these kinds of situations needs to go to their own therapy of their own therapist well to process their own feelings of what the hell's going on and also give them a give them methodology give them advice on how to handle it i can tell you that i was in the i was in the dark for much of it not understanding what it is and not knowing, you're saying how to set the boundaries, when to set the boundaries, them. what can I say, what can I not say. Right. And the littlest tiny things I could say could be a trigger. Right. And what not, you know, what not to do. And where did you go? You went to a therapist. And, I did not. I did, for, did my not. Own, for my own. I can tell you now that I did not. You didn't know. And uh, right. I could tell you this story only because we've since reconciled. And I'm telling you because I want to be real about it. Sure. 
um, uh, Yecheved had a very close friend who, um, it is nodding ahead already. I know what you're going to say. Yeah. I should go ahead, right? You've, I mean, the point in the story, the, no, the, no, no, the, no. the story is a very important story. And I don't think if she, if she hears what I'm, story that I'm saying, because we reconciled the day that Yecheved passed away, I called her up and I said, you know, we have to reconcile. I did. It was the next day. The next day? Yep. Because you told me not. Okay. <laughs> Well, they're the Leviathan, let's put it that way. It was the day of the funeral. The day of the funeral. Could you share the story? What's that? Could you share the story? Yeah, I'll tell, I'm going to share the story. So what happened was that, and this goes to your question, and that is that... Can you remove the tissue box to that side just because it might be blocking my shot? No, it's fine. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, What had happened was that her first attempt, she made an attempt, and then she messages a friend of hers. You mean... I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. She texted a bunch of people saying, I love you. That was, I got that text. It was normal. You'll have it with sometimes just tell me that she loves me. She was, that was like the kind of person that she was. And then, and that was it. And I texted her back. Love you too. That was it. Whatever. And later that night at like four in the morning, I got the text. I can pull it up. I, I still have the yeah. text on my phone. Um, it was a text that said, basically, I, over, I tried to kill myself. I overdosed. I did whatever. Um, this isn't your responsibility because that was the kind of person she was. She wanted to make it very clear that it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything. I'm going to tell my parents when they wake up. I was asleep when I got that text. So I didn't see it until six in the morning. You can continue with your story now. Okay. So she texted a friend who was up and the friend is like, are you okay? Are you this? Having this whole conversation, this long texting conversation. And, uh, and eventually she woke us up. And that was the least severe of her attempts. It was more severe than the third one was successful. But I, told, I, I took his friend aside very shortly thereafter and I said, what were you thinking? you just been told by a close friend of yours that she had tried to kill herself. Why are you not driving to Crown Heights, knocking on our door, calling out Zola, calling the cops? And she was in tears and she apologized and and and... She was a very close friend of Yechevet, and I did not allow her in my home for an entire year. You didn't, I'm sorry? I did not allow her in my home, our home. Oh. I don't want to see her. It was so stressful for me that, how could you have done that? How could you, what are you, like, it, maybe it's a, it's a, like a disassociation thing with where kids are texting these days. Oh, you killed, you tried to kill yourself. Oh, very nice. Well, how do you feel? You know, it's like not a real conversation. Like, you know, you live right. a while away, get on the phone, call what you need to yeah. call and make, you know, make, make things happen. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because I now understand that she, she's actually not to blame. She didn't have the skills. She didn't know what, what she could have done. Yeah. And she tried to do the best she could. So if you're asking me, you know, friends need to be educated and perhaps there should be instruction given in schools if they're ever faced with such That's a situation. Really, yeah. Someone comes and tells you something, you know, she say, you know, especially if I've just tried to kill myself. Boom, I saw that. Yeah, see something, say something. That's say something. something. I, I really, I was wondering, like, are you now an advocate for that? That Because I've, I've thought this myself in the past. I've thought this myself. Like, schools, I mean, there's a lot of things schools should teach that they don't. There's a lot of things schools should teach. I don't want to like, just basically how to deal with anxiety. But should schools teach basic, basic skills on how to deal with friends and, 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 and peers' mental health? Like in extreme cases. Without, without, without a shadow of a doubt. That needs to be taught in schools. Without a shadow of a doubt. Now, in all fairness, 
It doesn't exist in secular schools. It doesn't exist in from schools. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a from thing. It's, you know, it's a school thing. It's a school thing. So, you know, they were both 23. They're young adults. I, I believe they should have had the, she should have had the capacity to say, wait a second, you just, you know, you just overdosed. Every minute is important. Let's get the cup. We're sleeping, you know, the parents are at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, of course. In that situation, what you, you drive over to their place no immediately, yeah. you call the parents? I just had a call. I just had a, a, a call from someone a few weeks ago, a father whose, whose daughter's friend had come over and said she's leaving. And she's going to be killing herself. She, well, she's on a bike. She lives in, not, not in Brooklyn. What does that mean? She's leaving. Oh, she left the home. She came to visit a friend. The okay. father called me. Yeah. Has a daughter, teenage daughter. And this teenage daughter has a friend. And the friend of having a conversation, the friend goes, I'm going now, but I'm killing myself. I'm going for a bike. You'll never see me again. Well, he says, he says to me, uh, what should I do? What should you do? Salah, Amudim, this, Salah, that, Amudim. whatever you need to do. Oh, but Amudim. But Salah for sure. Um, the parents. Have you called the parents? No, I don't know if I should call the parents. Yeah. Get it's on embarrassing. The I don't know if I should call, call the parents. Don't call the parents. Try to, try, to, try to track her down. Probably try to track her down. Do... Make sure she's with somebody. <laughs> do what you have to do. You're, no, you're, you're yeah. younger than me. You're an adult. Yeah. You know, just uh, no. get, on, get on the phone. I think, I think this really does speak to... I actually think there's a lot of credence to what you were saying about how it's... Like with the texting, like we we are so desensitized, especially the younger generation. Like I, I go on TikTok and I'll see like a funny video, and the next thing I see is like the worst crimes and atrocities happening in all of the world. Like we are we are saturated with it, and texting is not a person. You know, like people, pe there's a reason people break up over text because it's not real. Yeah, the feelings aren't real, or even because it's all digital, and so like. It's it's sad, and I'm not making an excuse for everyone, but I think I think we're dealing with like a, a real. There's a bit of a pandemic in the world of like people disassociating from like real human beings on the end of the line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that goes with the social media situation and yeah. a lot of, and the whole technology. Which I do want to pivot here a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Can I ask one question, Zach? That I just wanted to that goes in the flow of this. Hundred percent. Talking about thanks. Obviously, after the first attempt, for sure, you're dealing with a constant state of anxiety, right? Of like. I mean, I don't know how that must be palpable. I don't know how you even lived every second, honestly. How did you manage that? Like, what? What do you, you do? Yeah, manage? what do you do? Like every day, you don't know when the next. You don't know when the next shoe's gonna drop, so to speak. You're always just in constant state of limbo. Well, first off, uh, let me just say that um, my own anxiety predated Yehovah's uh, attempt. So I have my own anxiety that I got to deal with. Um. And the answer to your question is that I was kept busy. Mm -hmm. There's no time to think how anxious you are. Right. You're on the phone with therapists, with doctors, with insurance, with uh, with Yechevet High School, you know, when, when she was in the hospital. And kudos to you, Rabbi. I don't know if you know guys know Rabbi, Rabbi Friedman. What's his first name? Zev Meir Friedman. You've heard of Rambam, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So he's the Rosh Hashiva Rambam. He was, he started as a sister school. And I called him up and I said to him, uh, she doesn't have to be valedictorian, you know, she's out of, been out of school three months. No, we're giving her examinations on her own timetable. She deserves to be valedictorian. Why did I mention that? I don't remember. We were talking uh, about what you, what, what, oh, how, how I mean, you yeah. dealt with. So the, way, so the way I dealt with it is that, uh, that the, there were so many things to, to, to handle that, that year. Um, in terms of getting necessary funds to pay for her care and throwing everything at it. And of course, at that point, 
my pride goes out the window. I'm not a wealthy person. And uh, thank God, friends and family are very supportive. And uh, paying for um, you know, her care and always being on top of her care. And after her second attempt, watching her like a hawk. Uh, and she outsmarted us, of course. I can tell you that story. And uh, so there's no time to be... Um, the anxiety actually, quite frankly, for me is more now than then. Wow. Why? If you don't mind me asking. Why do um, you think that it's is? It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain why. I've always had anxiety, but now it's like it's like it's it's, it's super super level. Um, I think I'm almost two, we're almost two years out. The art is going to be in a month, two years. So this anxiety of the the fear of forgetting is uh, is there. Wow. And the reality of I met I, you know I I I, I lost this just beautiful beautiful person. She was a beautiful person. You know, uh, this happened on a Tuesday, and you know, she you know. On Sunday evening, there was a bit of a family squabble, and I remember she was coming down to my my office. She took my she had this look in her eyes, which was and now I now understand, but she looked, had this look in my eyes, and she said to me, she held my hand, and she said, "Dad, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay." And then two days later, she was gone. So uh, that's amazing to hear that even to the end, she was thinking about other people, and she, she, was, she was a care. She she I don't know if you read her Instagram post, the final Instagram post, which was scheduled Instagram post, only got released after she. Had died, which you can do on Instagram, but obviously there's some sort of third party app that you can do that on. I guess. I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, she sent a scheduled email to us, which we received the next morning. Wait, it was her. It was her note. Yeah, her note, which is not which is not a public letter. Oh wow! So that, no, I'm saying this because the whole the entire letter is nothing vitriolic about it. It's all kindness. You did everything for me. I love you. This is, you know, I'm, I'm explaining this, I'm explaining she was, that. Yeah. She, was she wasn't angry. angry. She wasn't angry. She wasn't, she addressed the, she addressed trauma, actually, because that was uh, often a discussion. There's a trauma over there. Uh, she addresses it in the letter. Did she feel there was a specific trauma that she referenced? No, well, well, no the, the reason I'm mentioning that is because, is because uh, we have a, a, a doctor in, in Kronos' name, Dr. Rosen. And... Uh, one day he comes to me and he says, uh, oh, he's about Shiva. It's the Pavich about Shiva. I'm sure you've met a few of those, right? Yes. He says to me, he's a doctor. He says to me, I think Yechavit has dislocation of the Neshama. That's those are his words. Like, seriously. Those are his words. What does that even mean? Though? Yeah, I said to me, is that a medical term, Dr. Rosen? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> is that a medical term? There must be some kind of trauma there. Trauma? What's that? What's that the other? Okay. So uh, I sat her down one evening and I said to her, I'm starting to learn about trauma. Right. And um, we're now, you're 23 years old, or 22 at the time, and we've lived this life. And if there's anything that you've experienced in my hands that you consider to be traumatic, let's talk about it. I own it. I can only apologize for it. I can only learn from it and move on. I mean, I, mean, I am imperfect. Uh, she kept on telling me, no, 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 no. My wife was sitting there, also Dini was sitting there. I'm just, no, no, that, none of that, none of that, none of that. And uh, eventually she said to me, yeah, I guess she wanted, me to get, she wanted to get me off her back. She told me that, you know, you know, I would hit her when she was, you know, a small child, a few times that I hit her, or the times that I spoke to her in a disrespectful way or an angry way, which, you know, as a therapist once told me, you know, we, 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 
we have kids with that instruction manuals and uh, learn on the job and we're not, we're not perfect. And it took me a while through therapy to understand that, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm owning that fact that I was not perfect and I made a lot of mistakes. I did make a lot of mistakes and uh, I sincerely regret that. But it didn't rise to the level of, of, of the classic terminology of trauma. Then in her note, she writes that, I can find it if you talk to me, I can find it in the letter. She, 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 she wrote, those that, those that talk about trauma, capital T, or the capital T, lowercase T, yeah. You know this concept, right? Yeah. There's nothing that I can point to that can be the cause of all of this, but rather I'll find the quote and I'll, I'll, uh, and I'll, um, I'll, read, I'll actually read it to you, word for word, so I don't want to be misquoted. But um, uh, one of the reasons that, that Adina is here, maybe you can, address, you can talk about this now, is I wanted her to be here, is because to this day I don't understand the fact that she had spent have a second attempt after a year of intense therapy, after a year of, after having gone to, um, after having gone to a place called, um, is that place called Utah? Center, Center for Change, which is an eating disorder clinic. Intense therapy, thousands upon thousands of dollars being spent. And then uh, in the middle of this, she and Adina spent the whole day together on a, sun, on a Sunday. It was a Sunday, it was right? Sunday. I mean, I came over on Saturday night and I slept came over. Came on Sunday. You slept yeah. over Sunday. You spent the whole day together. I have pictures of it. There was, there was a TikTok video. A most normal day. And then that night, boom. There's an important lesson to that. That night was an attempt or successful? Attempt. No, not successful. Yeah, it was successful okay. that night. And what's was the, an what attempt. do you think is the lesson there? Um, well, first of all, what I, do you think I'd, I'd like Adina to be to describe it. I, my joke is that the lesson is she hated hanging out with me so much that no, she no, was no, like, no. we're done. <laughs> That's the joke. That's not what I really believe. Um, yeah, we hung out. I had come over on Saturday night. I, we hung out. I mean, me and Yohava didn't ever really do things. Like, we just kind of just sat around and like hung out. It's the best way to on do On TikTok, on Instagram. Like, we, we were just kind of hanging out in each other's Actually company. Actually enjoyed each other's company. Exactly. Crazy. Exactly. <laughs> It was like our joke. We, I would go there for Shabbos and Zini would try to get us to like leave the house at one point and we just we would just sit there. We, we just never left. Um, so we decided we were going to go to the Strand bookstore. Nice. And Zini said, Yochavad loved books, loves books, co- hoarded them. Like she just really loved to read and I did too. So Zini said, you can't go buy more books for this house if you don't get rid of like, you need to get rid of some books. You just need to. And so we went through all of Yochavid's books and she, I would take the books that she didn't want and she, you know, kind of put her, the books that she did want away. And then we, I drove us to the strands and we went to the strand. We both got a bunch of books and we, and that was it. And I left. Um, and the next day I got a call from Avrami saying there was an attempt. Yet, I'm sorry to tell you this. There was an attempt yesterday. Did, were there any signs? And first of all, I was like, well, if there were signs, I think I would have told someone that there were signs. Um, but no, that there, there really weren't any signs. I mean, first of all, if you were planning on ending your own life, why wouldn't you give me the better books? Why are you keeping any books for yourself? Because then if you die, then these are like sad suicide books. They're not books that I just wanted to read to begin with. So, and I, I told her that. I yelled at her about it. Um, but yeah, and I, to be honest, I think that that event was more traumatic for me than her actual death in the sense that I'm her best friend. Why didn't I know that she was going to go home and take a bunch of pills? She may have not known. She did know. I asked her. She didn't She know. had a scheduled Instagram. Like she had the same schedule, oh, but she wow. didn't die. So she canceled it. Oh, she was so, oh, she was so committed, um, committed to not, to not tripping up and people finding out 
that she couldn't do anything that people would find out. I'm really curious what you guys think the did, psychology is behind what what this 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 going to length to just have a normal day with your friend and not let people know. Is it is it is it oh. a shame thing or is it is it no, trying so, to protect no, people? No, no. What what do you think it is? It's a uh, it's I need to do something. You know, like in business, you have a goal. I'm going to do something, and nothing's going to get get in my way. It was stubborn. It was. It was. Yeah, that's what that's what it is. Twisted sort of ambition. Yeah, I mean, she writes about um, that adamance towards dying. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like no hatred, no nothing, no not angry, just significant, significant pain, just to the degree that just can't handle more. There's is that pain. Correct? There's pain, and with that, I now I now know is happiness. And this is also something that kids need to be to be trained about because once they figured out part of the problem for us was that after she came back from treatment in Utah in after right. Sukkot November November right November for, for Hanukkah her last months she was just great she was like happy and uh, you know cheerful and to contrast her first attempt and her second attempt the first attempt she was a mess in hospital, an absolute mess. You were there. Yeah, I was there that day. She was an absolute mess. The second attempt, when, which was unsuccessful, she was like, 10 minutes later, Dad, get me out of here. I think I'm ready to go. I'm like, this is enough. I'm done. I'm good. So she didn't want to tell anyone. She didn't want to tell anyone what? That she, she, she didn't want to tell any friends. The only reason she spoke to me was because you had already told me that she attempted. Yeah. Uh, we're going to ask her home. I said, your liver is a little messed up and you're staying here. And you're probably going to go end up Westchester for an extended period of time. But she was happy. And even visiting her at hospital every day, just cheerful. I read books with her. And so, and the reason is because they were resigned. They knew what they were going to be doing in three weeks from now. So there's a happiness. And we're not told this, but the North therapist told us. What was that again? There's, you a, there's, a, there's a happiness there's a re- in having decided. Yeah. In the, in not, in not being between. I mean, there's a Gemara that says the, one of the, what's the, one of the greatest joys you can experience is yeah. coming to a conclusion, conclusion in a Suffolk. Suffolk, exactly. So like I I, I decided exactly. sorry for me, to breathe I, I, easy. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not. I want to understand this. What sure. you're saying? Yeah. It's yeah. A, I know. I know. It's, it's very hard to understand. No. Not that I get. I just didn't get 100 percent what you're saying. On the timeline, after her second attempt, you're saying she was happy because she. What was the difference between the first and the second again? Well, meaning first in her, of all, thought, in her thought process. What was the difference? Sorry. In her thought process, meaning you're saying that she was happy. Why was she a wreck she, the first she time? Fu- she fuddled, she fuddled it up the first time. Mm-hmm. The second time, she was more was more severe. It was more so physically more severe, mm-hmm. even though she she did not uh, was not successful. But at that point, already she knew what she was going to be doing, and she realized she wrote about it. She realized the next the third attempt is going to be the final attempt, and I'm going to get it right. You know, and then she was happy because she's now she's now uh, at peace. You know, I'm going to be gone in three weeks, and this is now I can. Kane is going to go away. And I can spend whatever money she writes about. I can spend all the money I have. I can, you know, swear like a sailor. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm out of here in three weeks. I don't have to be a nice person anymore. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm happy. That's good. This I'm sure she was still a nice person. She, still, she was still a nice person. And wow. Uh, wow. I mean, just to, just to give you, you know, the timeline of the, of the, the, the lit, I think Hanukkah ended two years ago on a Sunday. So we took my son back to Moroccan to Yeshiva. Came back. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Ended on a, ended on a Sunday night, and then Monday morning, uh, uh, my, we took we took uh, my son back to Morristown, 
and uh, actually my wife went and they went to the Dream Mall. They had a great day. There's a video of it. They spent a, this is not actually Monday. They, had a, they spent a fantastic day together. Joyful. She's going into stores. She's buying stuff. Everything's cool. Uh, that night there was a lahaim of a, of a family member. Everything's great. And I said to her, as I, was always, as I would always do, I said, uh, hey, uh, you want to skip out? We would both do that because we were both antisocial. I still am. Uh, and we went home and we'd sit in the couch watching videos together. And I don't remember even, even remember which videos we, we watched together, music videos. And then she went to sleep and I went to sleep. And the next morning, cheerful as heck. And she was kind of, she was about to leave to her job. And, uh, hey, you want to make me an omelet? Sure, Dad. Knowing that two hours later, she's, she, it's, it's over. Then wow. So how long after she got back from treatment did, was her, did she pass away? Shortly thereafter, about a month later, but but no, no, no about two months later. Her for her second attempt, which was I want to say maybe two weeks after she got back from treatment, was November sixth. Oh, so it and was... her and her, she died on December twenty seventh. Oh, so she right after she got back from treatment, attempt number two, and then a month later. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Was there like what would the, what was the feeling after spending all that money in treatment, all that energy to get her you know to go, and then was there any sense of like? I mean, what what's the emotion? Is that just anger? Is that like yes. what happens a week yeah. later? She's back to square one. So a year prior, when my wife woke me up and said, "Yechava uh, just boiled a whole bottle of Tylenol," it's like, a, you know, it's terrible. Um, you know, it's Kolatsala, and I'm like, I'm just feeling terrible. Like, you know, we're going to help our daughter. Fast forward a year later, my wife wakes me up and shows me this empty bottle, empty container of Tylenol. I remember thinking just this intense feeling of anger. I took the bottle and I just threw it with such anger, thinking in two seconds, all that I've gone through the, in the year prior, sent to the best therapist, sent to the best nutritionist, by the way, because they have to be, nutritionists have to, have to be trained in eating disorders. So it's another level of, 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 of skill. Of skill. Yeah. Sending her to, um, to, um, to a clinic in Utah, going through that separation. We went together to Tishrei. Doing, paying all that efforts, and really, my business just went through, like, just went to, to the side, yeah. and I was angry. I was just angry, angry, and not at her, but at just angry. The situation. God, we did all, we tried all of this. I don't know about God, we tried all. I'm not so religious. I tried all of that, and then I mean, yeah. boom. I mean, I mean, God. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was gonna ask I'd if you, if you, like, <laughs> what your relationship with. First of all, did you? During all this, did you find solace or, or, or wisdom? Did you go to, did either of you go to religious figures, rabbis, or, or did you look at Sfarim? Like, was there something in the, in, in, in Judaism that like helped you get through this or gave you tips or wisdom on it? Uh, my wife, Dini, is far more, uh, spiritually inclined. Yeah, I don't like the word religious. <laughs> I really don't like the word I don't really love it either. Uh, but more spiritually inclined than I am. Um... For me, I'm like, I like to just have direct conversations. Like, uh, you know, I'll just cross out of God, you know, just like, you know, what, what, what are you putting me, what, what's the purpose of it? And to this day, I tell my wife, like, what, is, what does God want from me that I should still be here with all this pain? I was always told, a wise friend was told me that he wishes more people would cuss out God. Yeah. yeah Get angry not? with God. Get angry with God, yeah. exactly. And what's a rabbi going to tell me, you know? I mean, for example, we're going to send it, we're going to send it to an eating disorder clinic. So straight away in my stupidity, I'm thinking, okay. Let me find an Indian disorder clinic in the U.S. that has kosher food. And I found one. Oh, wow. And then uh, a friend of mine in Utah says to me, 
who deals actually the shliach there about simple, who actually deals with this on a continual basis, says to me, "Are you mad? This is therapy. What? Why, why are you looking for a kosher place? Just look for the best place." Yeah, of course. And and he, and he even said to me, "Ask a rabbi." And I said to myself, "You know what? That makes a lot of sense. I don't think I have to ask a rabbi." Yeah, like, but and there are people that would ask rabbis, and like, I don't think I'd ask a rabbi for that. Yeah, and I didn't. And we and and that's the place she went to. Uh, was it the perfect experience? It wasn't the perfect experience. They they were very good. They bought her kosher meat, which they you know cooked with all their chazer, which, which is fine. <laughs> Whatever, I don't yeah. care. The thought they can. Very interestingly enough, what is very interesting about that that her stay in Utah is that she displayed a level of religious uh, sensitivity that she had never displayed before. That's very interesting. Uh, maybe she had Jewish patients that were not religious. Jewish, you know, um, not patients, but what do you call them? Uh, other girls in the program yeah. that were not religious. Like uh, I sent her a chauffeur. I had to teach her how to blow the chauffeur. I sent her material on Rosh Hashanah. This is someone I never went to shul. Uh, so it's her. Uh, and she was doing a little sleep. She went over to the bench and Esrik with her. She took it. She took it kind of seriously. It was, it was very interesting. It's so interesting. I, I was listening to you sent me obviously um, her Shloshim speech. Right, speech, right. Um, and I was listening. I don't remember if it was you or you who yeah. was talking about the fact that she apologized. I, I don't remember if it was you or you were talking about the fact that uh, she was uh, on Rosh Hashanah, I think, or she went to show once and she was extremely triggered. And she was crying, and right. I can you just expound on that story? Because it, it yeah, was... I actually, I can, I can actually probably read it. Um, I, I, admit, I think it was when you were reading your speech. I mean, I can read it from her letter. I have a letter right here. She writes, she writes about it. It's oh. the most beautiful thing. It actually changed my life in terms of how I look at uh, how I look, I look at godliness. But until I find it, I'll just tell you that um, she never went to shul. Why not? Why not? What do you think? Too much pain in a relationship with God. Yeah, no, it's boring. Yeah, I mean, before had you not listened yes. to my speech, no, had you not listened to had you, had you not listened to my speech, and you you see you encounter a child in a in a religious family that's not going to shul. Uh, what's the first thing that comes to? Um, I mean, the first thing that I honestly, the first thing that would come to mind is I don't know. They're not interested in religion, but I right. most of the time it's a far deeper than that. That's just a very surface based. You can be pretty interested in religion and not love going to shul. Yeah, but there's also other options of like people going to shul. It, it, it causes them significant pain when they're very involved in religious uh, yeah. activity yeah. because of various different things in their life that make it very difficult for them. It's not that they don't want to be connected to God or be religious. It's just that whenever they do it, it causes such so, intense emotion. So for some reason, I can't find that exact excerpt right now. But basically what you said, and this really changed my life and how I look at religion and religious journeys. Taking the uh, the minutia and the, and the details out of it so important, and she'd say that uh, I don't go to shul. I have to find it. Gotta find it. it. <laughs> but uh, and she said, you know, people think I don't go to shul, but and I, I'd actually get into fights with her. Look, not, not arguments, fights. And the reason I get into fights with her about it is not because I wanted her to be more religious. That was not the reason. I need to make that very clear. The reason was is that my wife loves to go to shul, and she loved when when you have went with her to shul. She just absolutely loved it. And I thought, I said, just do it for mommy. You know, just like go to shul and sit and read books. I and mean, she did sometimes. Just go to shul right. and just sit with your mother. You know, and sometimes she did it. Most times she did not. And then she writes that, um, oh, here we go. I found it. 
So I'm just going to read it and that uh, I can talk for itself. All right, this is her. These are her words. By the way, the reason that I'm pulling up excerpts from her letter that she sent us. I don't know what you guys think, but I, I kind of figure that if someone's sending a suicide note, got to be truthful. Otherwise, you know, who do they have to bullshit at that point? Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Of course. Right. Why would they lie? Why would they lie at that point, right? Of course not. So I'm, I'm just taking it at face value. She writes the following. She says, my connection, and I may have quoted the student in the speech, my connection with God is fleeting. When I can connect, I'm so overwhelmed with love and gratitude uh, uh, that they spill over into tears until, until I can no longer feel at all. I don't like Anushal or similar environments because I have to hold back my true feelings. I have to hold back my raw emotion from turning into heart-wrenching cries. I can't make a scene in public. For so many years, I was seen as a rebel, someone who hated religion and God, someone who hated my community and wished I had no part in it. And really, I simply didn't understand. And what I did understand was too much to share with the world that it was easier to turn my back. I think about God every day, at least every hour, sometimes every minute and every second. Think about my purpose, God's purpose, why I would be why I would be put in this world simply to suffer. So that sounds like someone who has a, a very special connection to God. Yeah. That's more yeah. than I would say yeah. anyone so was going to show. It taught me such it taught me such a lesson. It taught me such a lesson. And look, even before she passed away, you know, Dina will tell you, we had very diverse crowds on our Friday night's meals. I mean really diverse crowds, but it taught me a lesson from there on even to like the judgments out the window because we don't know what what for journey someone is, is is traveling, and they could be more spiritual than I. Even though I, put, I do put them to film every day, it's so... but they could have a connection that I don't have that I'll never be able to attain. Yeah, correct. And if they're not doing something, you have no idea no, why. I have no like, idea. They may not even know why. It's like... often also people who struggle with God and with religion. I mean, we'll translate Yisrael, right? Struggle with God. Like it's usually not always, but oftentimes the ones who struggle, their religious connection, even if they're less observant, it's it's fought for. It's for some people don't fight. Yeah. Some people don't fight and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's beautiful if it clicks and everything, everything works out fine. But I think that that fight, more honest relationship. Well, I think, um, that was exactly the case. So she wasn't outwardly religious, you know, but she was inwardly incredibly I mean, I'm sorry, spiritual. Sorry, sorry. You know, we have a mutual friend that, uh, this friend said, sat at a dinner table. She just found out she's Jewish. She told her about Simon Jackson for, uh, for a male, but Simon Jackson is my wife's cousin. Who? Simon Jacobson. Why? Jacobson's wife, brother, okay. oh. brother, brother, brother. Who's uh, who's famous? Yeah, that sounds bad. I just want wife when it's a brother. Yeah, what's, yeah. what's, what's his wife? name? A, a Yy's wife? No, 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 yeah, no. Simon. The brother, Sima, Simon, Simon, Simon. Yeah, I thought you said Sima too. Sima, Simon. Simon. He wrote okay. a he wrote a book called Towards a Meaningful Life. Anyway, so someone said at our table, uh, "I'm not religious," and he said, "You probably mean you're not observant of." You know, certain set of laws. That's not. I'm. It's not judge yourself or me to judge you whether you're religious or not. So, um, but you know, to your point that you said that you made in that speech last year, it's a problem in the religious community. You know, this is like this is the barometer of how we, how these these kids are judged. That's I would sad. say that it kind of dovetails beautifully with just like you don't know I mean, what pain someone's yeah, in. It's so powerful. You also don't know. Sorry. Just like you don't know, like she put on a, a brave face to the world and you have no idea how much pain she's in, you also don't know how much spirituality someone's in. You don't know their ideas about God. And you can't attempt, it's, and, and they might never show you their real thoughts of God if you're 
the way you relate to them is, well, you don't fit this, my idea of a religious person. So therefore, you know, they're not going to end up showing you the, 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 that connection that they're feeling, their spirituality. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's, that's really the perfect example of, you know, you, you just can't judge. I mean, someone like that at her level could have been in Hashem's eyes. So just call it what it is. It could be in, in such a greater place than anyone that we look at that we think is like a tremendous goggle or whatever. Like their challenges could be that much less than hers and where she got. I mean, the perfect example. That's such a beautiful yeah, thing I, you just I, said. I believe that to be true. Huh? I, I believe it's, 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 yeah, totally. It's crazy. Um, did she ever have like months on end or years on end where she was in such a deep level of depression that she didn't leave the house or like there was just, cause I know a lot of times depression, like especially clinical depression, which it seemed like she had, right? Like real intensity. I, I would think so. Yeah. Right. I'm saying, yeah. Um, a lot of times that goes with like just being in bed for like weeks and weeks at a time, no showering, all that type of stuff. She did shower. She would spend a lot of time in bed. I didn't like it because I didn't think it was healthy for her. There's also a point of contention a little bit. I don't, I don't say she would spend weeks on end in bed because she had stuff to do. She did do things, either school or volunteering. So, and she was like, you know, intellectual and academic, so she had things to do. She wasn't like just spending time. But she did so spend, interesting. She, she, spent too much time, did, she, she did spend too much time in bed. That's fascinating though, that she was still doing things in that level of depression. People, a lot of people that I know in that level of depression do not do anything. Maybe it's a diversion. You know, she actually well, spoke, she writes about it. Maybe it's a diversion. I oh, wanted, she does. I wanted to ask Adina, as, as someone who's studying psychology, what do you think some things that people who are laymen get wrong about depression? Uh, I think that, right? I mean, I do think that there are people who spend hours and days and weeks in bed, but there are, very, there are people who are functioning depressed people, people who functioning any, you know, kind of insert any uh, mental health disorder or term into there and they're functioning and they they're able to put on that brave face. And sometimes, like Remy said, sometimes that looks like um, kind of going all in with school, but sometimes to the extent of if something isn't perfect, then you kind of have a panic attack because that was the only thing that was working for you. And that was that was your coping skill. And now it's not anymore. And so people right. so she, I think, used her academics um, as her coping skills. She had she had to go to school every day because she had to be perfect in school. Right. Um, and if she didn't have that, I don't, she could have been in bed all day. I can, I can say that I know that there were days where, you know, if Remy said she showered, there were days where the only thing that she accomplished that day was showering. And even that was really challenging right. for her. Like at 7 PM, she, she would just say, you know, she would kind of send me a checklist of got out of bed, showered, got into new pajamas back in bed. And I'm proud of myself for that. And wow. that, and that was what she yeah. was proud Sounds of. Sounds like me during the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like with depression and anxiety especially when it's because there are different types of depression right i, mean, I think right and there's yeah. like clinical where it's like really it's a chemical thing and then there's yeah. like there there and there is a real depression that's not chemical that just comes from like like really bad circumstances, circumstances. Yes. yeah but the way people still talk about it, it's getting better but the way it's talked about in society when someone's like i am sick like i have hostile, i have cancer i have this i have that it's like oh they're they have a disease and i love that you called it a disease that she had a disease because that's something that's just so important to reiterate to people clinical is depression depression is a disease yes, yes. And, and like, you can't be like, well, why don't you uh, work out or like do something to cheer yourself? Like they have a, they're sick. Like, it's not that they, there aren't things you can do, but like you have to give them the same rachmanis. You don't, you don't get upset at someone for having a, a, a body disease. No, I think also you don't blame to, them. To, to kind of expound on that. I think a lot of times friends and I'm sure parents also are kind of like, just suck it up. Just like get it together. Like, come on, just, you know. We're gonna go to the park. It's no, gonna be my awesome. Favorite, my favorite is the the, the best gaslight from parents is, 
but you live a great life. Like, why are you, why, like, so I, I, did we not do enough? Like, I, I was guilty of that. I haven't said that. Um, no, meaning it, it's, it's I think it's a very normal human thing. Yeah, it's a normal reaction. But, it's, it's so impossible to be put in the mind of someone in that level of tsar that like, like, like Zach was saying with cancer, it's like obvious, like, of course you can't get I, out of I would like, like to say that it's not impossible. And if people t take, I mean, you've learned, it's not impossible to, you don't have to know the level of someone's pain to right. be able to say like, I understand, like, yes, your life seems like it's great on the outside, but whatever you're saying, I have to take you at word value and your emotions are valid and sadness deserves to be felt regardless. It can be just as valid, even whether you grew up in war-torn, you know, country or whether you grew up in the lap of luxury in America. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's true. Sadness is sadness. No, I agree. And especially if it's chemical, it's in your body. You know, this, I think what you're saying also is, is that the same way we don't feel and know what it feels like to have, you know... Well, 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 everyone, everyone agrees with that. That is about... Uh, you saying the chemical thing? The chemical thing. What about it? Yeah, I don't... I, don't, she, agree with, uh, what, what your, I don't know what your thoughts are, but... What are your thoughts the, on that? There are people, there are professionals... just don't think that there are chemical... There's, there's such a thing called chemical imbalance. They don't think it exists, a chemical imbalance. They don't, think, they don't think Hold on a second. There are people that don't think clinical depression exists? No, no, no. He's, no I didn't say that. Clinician. I didn't say, I didn't say that. There are, there are people that don't think that, that clinical, chemical imbalance is a thing. Isn't clinical depression the concept? I'm not a doctor, but I've just read books. I'm just, I can give you books if you want. No, it's, it's worth researching. Yeah. I've, they would obviously still, those clinicians would still say that it's a, it's a real That's thing. Real. It's a very That's real. real. It's a, they would still probably even call it a disease. They would just say it's not chemical. So what real. is it? If it's not chemical, what am I missing? It's probably Well, really. uh, there's a great book written by... Uh, Johan Hari. Uh, Johan Hari. Thank you. I did my research. Called Lost Connections. And he, 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 he talks about it. But he's not a, he's not a psychologist. He's a journalist. But his work got picked up by a lot of other uh, med professionals, and uh, he talks about this, that, uh, you know, this, this, this misnomer, chemical, this chemical imbalance destroyed his life until he realized that what's important in life is connections with self, with earth, with friends, community, and so on. Because you go chasing the right, the right combination living, of living, pills. Living a, a healthy life. Obviously, people, more, some people have proclivity to depression more than others. Is it chemically, you know, listen, we have the whole uh, that medicine uh, Thing going on today, which uh, kind of puts chemical imbalance to the, side, to the side and says, you know, okay, maybe you do have it, maybe you don't have it, but we have ways to, to solve this, right. notwithstanding the fact that you have, you may have a chemical imbalance. Well, also, it's oftentimes those chemicals are things like serotonin, which you can get that chemical by jogging exactly. or but by loving someone and ha getting that, a hug. Exactly right. So I don't want to say, serotonin. I don't want to say it as a, as a layman that, oh, those things chemical imbalance. I don't know, but I just want to make it clear that there is a discussion out there that I don't think every professional in the world agrees with the idea that there okay. is such a thing called a chemical that's, that's imbalance. Interesting. Would you say, though, that the mainstream uh, opinion is that there is? Or how else are they going to sell medication? That's what you think it is. That's fine. Interesting. Okay. I mean, do you yeah. have thoughts on that? On um, the uh, overprescription? Oh, possible overprescribing the, of pills? Yeah, I am not doing any prescribing on my own. Um, I definitely think that as a therapist, I, I believe psychotherapy works. I believe. Um, you know, getting serotonin from going on a jog, for example, can work. That being said, there are people who are so severely depressed that they can't go on a yeah. jog. Right, exactly. And, right, like you, in order to even get them on the jog, they, they maybe they need, they need, yeah, maybe yeah, they I, need to I don't want to vilify pills. I'm, I'm, I'm not vilifying, I'm not vilifying pills. I'm not vilifying pills. I'm not vilifying pills either. I'm, I'm saying there might be an over-prescribing or, or, or an over-focus on that mm -hmm. in regards to like, Johan was saying like connection and, and but yeah, no, pills are, Go pills. Go pills. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Go pills. pills. I mean, saved my life. Really? Absolutely. How so? Can you expand on that? 
I mean, uh, anxiety, um, sleeping, um, but I'm now on a, on a different course. I think I don't actually jettison pills and get, get rid of it mm -hmm. and exploring other avenues. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you you can be moated that they were, you can admit that they helped a lot. Not only to admit that they helped, but I think that there are a lot of people that can't do without them. Yeah. You know, because they have made the decision that they haven't made the decision that, you know what, you know what, there may be a different way of doing this. So if they haven't made that decision, nothing else is going to help them. Do you think it's placebo to a certain degree you're saying? Not saying it's placebo. I think that it's, it's actually working, but they have not been explained or they have not explored enough um, how other uh, methodologies can, can, can help them, modalities can help them. Interesting. So, uh, you know, all the power to them, you know. Can you speak to anything? There's, there's two points I want to bring up right now, but can you speak to what, is there anything that would bring your Hebed relief in the depths of her depression, which sounds like it went on for what, a solid eight to 10 years probably? Yes. yes. Obviously, it's just endless torture. Was there anything that, that brought her some sense of relief um, overall that maybe, I don't know, could bring someone else, other people suffering from, you know, intense depression, maybe it's a jog, maybe something that helped her in those moments? It's like anybody. Was she spent time with friends and family? What a tremendous relief. She loved spending time with friends and family. Connection. And by, connection. And by the way, that's why the pandemic was so, was so difficult. Yeah. Well, they uh, say that. psychiatrists the, told me, by the way. That, they say the mental health issues, uh, what do you I mean, the know. data on mental health, uh, alcoholics, uh, all this stuff skyrocketing yeah. because people are just sitting at home doing nothing with no ability to get out. I mean, marriages. I think this the is psychiatrist all. psychiatrist told me that, uh, yeah. uh, he's been in business 30 years, let's say. He's had one suicide a year. In 2020, he had four. Wow. It's a big jump. 75% Yeah, that's a big jump. So I know she loved music, right? And you're a musician. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can we just talk, I mean, there's a lot to discuss, art, music. Zach is a big musician, great at many things when it comes to the, the art sector of things. Um, if it just... doesn't make money, I'm good at it. <laughs> <Check>. Great. <laughs> Could you talk, first of all, what was your relationship with her? Uh, was there a strong connection between you and her uh, because of music? Did music help you, help her get through these times? If you could and, just... and you as well. Was it yeah. part of your guys' relationship? Uh... My connection was that uh, she and I loved music and uh, she loved the music that I loved and took it much further. What mm. is the music you love? <laughs> we well, might as well talk specifics. Well, uh, you know, I love um, the folk music of the 60s and 70s. I love, um, oh, you know, Dylan, Paul Simon. Um, no Justin Bieber? Not Justin Bieber, <laughs> Sting, you know, words, uh, uh, music that had lyrics that were very meaningful. I mean, both, uh, yeah, both yeah, of I was going to say. Both of us were very, 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 you very into the poetry of it. Poetry, yeah, poetry is just ultra important. So I, I'm, I'm a guy who's like, you got to stick to the rules. So for example, she was in Chabad school in Cry Nights, and she would want to listen to music that I would listen to. You can't, because the rules of school is you can't listen to any secular music, you know, only Jewish music from music, like that's it. You could, Hey, you want to go to a different school? No problem, you know. And then on the day she graduated, she and I went out to dinner at Limited Murray and I had a hard drive. And I said, this is your graduation present. And it was, uh, I don't know, about 100,000 MP3s or so. 100,000? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of MP3s. Like, tens of thousands of MP3s of, of music that, uh, that, that, I, that I grew up with and enjoyed and so on. But that continued. So uh, the connection with music, if you follow Instagram page, so what an interesting thing that happened was that we would just jam at home and so on. 
she hated being photographed and she hated uh, having own pictures on social media and so on. She just liked to be private in that way. So we recorded two songs together. You can, you can see it on Instagram. One is uh, called uh, Beyond the Sea and one is called uh, Another Stand, Another Jazz Stand. And we just kept singing at home. I'm playing, she's singing. I think I saw this. Diddy's filming it, just playing around. I think yeah. nothing professional. And then she comes to me and she says to me, uh, hey, do you mind if I put this on Instagram? I'm like, surprising, because she'd never asked that before. And I said, sure, go right ahead, put it on Instagram. But I realized now that she was trying to give me a gift, that she wanted me to remember her that way. Because those two Instagram posts are the two final ones before a final, final Instagram post. And then it was, it was a New York post, and then it got a lot of views because of it, so on. Was that difficult for you to deal with the publicity of the, of the death? Um, no. It wasn't difficult for me at all. I no. actually want to dovetail into that because something that person I talked to you about before that they, they prepped me about is you've been, since her death, very active on social media right. and very vocal and very real and very honest. Yeah, I saw and your I'm wondering, post. First of all, I think that's incredible. I think that it you're doing a lot of a lot of good work. First of all, just in honoring her, but also just, again, like I'm so into like destigma, destigma, I can't say it. Destigmatization. Destigmatization. Uh, if that's a word, it I think is. it is. Okay, great. Um, but I'm wondering if you got pushback because people, we were making that joke like, oh, it's awkward. Oh, suicide. People, people are uncomfortable around things like this. Pushback. That would be surprising. Not to me, pushback like you're doing the wrong thing. Just like, I wonder what, how it, how it, well, I guess, yeah. What the feedback's been? What's the feedback's been to your just being very public about this, so, this relationship? The Thursday, literally the Thursday before you have it passed, I told her half jokingly, said to her, are you feeling suicidal now? I don't know why I'd asked her that night. Less than normal. I'm thinking, I'm okay. Yeah, she would tell me. It was Thursday before the Tuesday. But you have it, you know, if you do it, I'm gone two days later. And I meant it. I really, really meant it. Wow. Uh, but an interesting thing happened in that um, it became very public very fast. So the New York Post put in an article and so on. And then I start people, st people started writing out, starting write, writing to me from all over the world. And I started writing them back to them. And for some reason, in a way that I did not intend, it became therapeutic for me. I didn't have to take pills or go to therapy at that moment. Maybe later, yes. At that moment, it became my own therapy. I was talking to people and spreading positivity. There's a person I met. You may know him, Elia Nash. Yes. He's a good friend of mine today. And he met, we met after you have a pastor, which is a whole story in and of itself, how we, how we met. Is Ellie Nash the one that came out publicly, like spoke, speaks about sexual abuse? Yeah, so it's okay. Porn addiction. Yeah, well, whole porn addiction, I just want to make sure I have the right person. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting because uh, I can say, say this publicly. I tell, I tell Ellie, and I've been told him today, you know, Ellie is not a, again, not going to use a religious, he's not an observant Jew. Right? Mm -hmm. he's observant, but he's very into observant causes and so on. Uh, I consider him my mashpia. I consider him my, my rabbi. Wow. Bavich uh, Rebbe had this thing called Selah Harav. Every, every, every Jew should have somebody else mm -hmm. they can to, turn to for spiritual advice and so on. Mm -hmm. And he's someone that uh, that I turn to a lot. And the reason, one of the reasons is because his his messaging was very, he told me at the, at the, very, at the very beginning, be positive. Don't go negative. Don't go, don't go blaming. Don't, you know, don't go, uh, you know, um, Postal on the world, just be positive. Positive things will happen. He actually sponsored an award in my daughter's name. Um, 
so it was, so if you, if you if you if you look at my social media posts, you'll see that it's all basically positive stuff. I don't believe me. There's a lot that I could talk about right. that I want that I'd love to talk about. And I even tell them him and Simon because they're part of sort of his foundation. I'd want to talk about it. And they're holding me back. So one day we'll get to it. That, that, that Why are you holding fit. back on those things? Why? Yeah, when there's negativity in them. What's the? Yeah, because because it's negative. It's negative. So the idea is the idea is to rather just to be positive and positive, positive, do positive actions, positive deeds, positive projects. A lot of light will dispel the the darkness, and there's a little heart darkness, and uh, and more kind of can be accomplished that way than the other way, which is which is what he taught me to do. And I'm not that naturally that kind of person. If you go back to my social media before you passed away, I wasn't like that at all. I became that way after that. Well, profoundly so changing. Do you, do you feel that almost in a way because of the fact, like you obviously told her if she does it, you're going to do it. Do you feel that because of the fact that it became a public, you know, a public thing that that like became significantly easier for you to I can't explain it. it. You're asking me, I'm explaining it. I'm just, as you're talking to me, I'm saying, yeah, that's right. probably what happened. You know, I actually felt okay in the first few months. Wow. I was engaging. I had a lot of people that I helped. There's a lot of people I'm in touch with. People that I don't know. There are a lot of people that have Young women who have gotten tattoos in her, that the American way of saying it, in her memory, I'm South African, uh, who don't even know her, never knew her, never met her. And just, you know, just a lot of these kinds of interactions, which were very beautiful, which kind of gave me a lot of hezek. Right. I feel so dumb because I thought you were British this whole time. I'm British and no, I'm South African. So. That's bad. <laughs> so uh, at first my family was not, was not happy with me. They were not, my, you know, they were not ha- Why? happy that I was public. Right. But they realized it was doing well for me. And also they started realizing that it was doing well for others as well. A lot of, a lot of conversations started happening, which were, which were important conversations. And they realized, they realized today, so they have the full support of, of my family for all of this. Well, I think on the topic of spreading light, um, I want to talk a little bit more about, and I, I want to include you in this uh, about since this happened, like, have you, let's start with you. Have you, do you now get approached by people um, who are dealing with their either their own or with their friends' own mental health issues? Do you, have you become someone that like people turn to? Not so much. I have not been as open on social media. After Yochavah died, I posted mainly because I felt like I need, I don't want to have to tell every single person in my life that this happened, but right. I kind of just want everyone to know that I'm out of the office for who knows how long. Um, my friends know about it. So my friends, when my friends are dealing with similar situations, they'll ask me about it. But even so, you know, talking about um, pushback, I think for myself, I was I was in the position of being the friend who kind of had to be on call for a really serious thing for a good 10 years of my life. And it's very hard for me to talk about it with friends because I hate putting someone else into the position of, hey, I really want to talk about the serious thing that you've never had to deal with. And suicide is, is dark. It's not It's not a fun topic. It's not like, Oh, let's complain about school or or something that like right. everyone's relating to. It's it's thank God most people in my life don't relate to it. The Gerars relate to it. Um, you'll have its other friends relate to it, but no, none of my close circles relate to it. And so, but mental health, some you know, mental health issues, maybe not suicide. I think more people than we even realize relate to it. Yeah, definitely, people, more people relate. To how it, did you sure. How did you manage yourself? Obviously, the following day, month. Multiple months, I mean, I'm sure it took a huge toll on you as well. Shock and all that. How yeah. did you manage? Start of the day. What? Start of the day, the day after. The day after she died? I mean, the day she died? I got a call from Avrami. I was, I had just started a new job. 
I had actually taken a video at my new office to send to Khaled. I just hadn't sent it yet because I didn't have service there. And I saw I had a missed call from Avrami. And I was like, either she attempted or she's dead. I knew. He wasn't calling me out of the blue for nothing. He would, we've spoken on the phone about Yochavid before, but he'd text me and say, can you, can I call you? When's a good time? And I left my job and I called him and he, he said, um, I think your words were, she's, she was, Baruch Dein she was successful. The funeral's tomorrow. I'll text you information. Tell anyone who you think needs to know. That was our phone call. Oh, was that called? Oh boy. <laughs> Sorry. Your daughter just died. It was shot. Yeah. It was, it was. Honest. I, and like, I, I mean, I lost it. And then the next day was the funeral. And the truth is the way that I managed was that I went on four vacations in four months after she died. I was fully running away from it. Um, I didn't, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't want to think about it. I, I couldn't think about it. Um, and it's interesting at that time, that was the only time I realized how much pain she was obviously in because I was in the most pain that I've ever, I had ever been in in my entire life. And I still didn't want to kill myself. And so right. I couldn't have even imagined being in so much pain, like being in that much pain that you want to die. Like I so well said. I, yeah, yeah, that's. I, um, I guess you know, knowing that part of me is happy for her that she's not in that pain anymore. I'm sad for myself, but I, but you know, a lot of people ask me, if, am, I, am I angry at her? You know, like, and yeah, obviously, I'm pissed. Like, why'd you die? It was annoying for me. Annoying is not the right word, but, um, but the truth is, is that she was. People say it was selfish, and you know, it it was. But she spent the first 24 years of her life living for other people. She didn't die sooner because of other people. And so she did something for herself. And that sucks for me. But why does she get to be in pain and I don't, right? Like now mm -hmm. I'm in pain, but she's not. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that argument before, but I, I think no one can actually make that argument because until you're in that level of pain, you can't really decide what is selfish and what is not. That's my honest perspective. Like Correct. if someone is being tortured actively every single day, don't be so quick to there say that. There are probably that, more yeah. selfish things people can do than suicide. 100%. Well, yeah, no, it just, it, it just, whatever. I just think it's a shallow. He, yeah. It, it's talking about something you don't know. It's like, how could you ever make that judgment? So, yeah. Did post it on Instagram saying that, you know, people who are suicidal, it's like being in a burning building. Are you either going to just burn to death or are you going to jump out? Which is ironic right. considering how she died. But, right. but that, and. If that is, if that's the analogy that she's using, then yeah, either you're going to die from the inside or you're going to try yeah, to get out of it. Of course. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. Are you comfortable speaking a little bit about the day of something you're comfortable with? Yeah, sure. So where were you when this all happened? Uh, I was working. Um, I was working in my basement that's where I work. And um, things are going very well. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an orchestrator. So uh, it requires a level of creativity that either you have or you don't have it. And that day I had it. And I even remember who I was working for because he called me a month and a half later and he said to me, you didn't complete the job. And I thought he'd given it to somebody else. At that point I said, no, I'm waiting for you. You're going to complete this, this this work for me. And things were going really, really well. And I was happy and I was blowing and I had a nice piece of music and so on. And I walked and I went upstairs, got a snack and I got a call someone introducing themselves as a, as a cop. This is a Remigrari? Yeah. Uh, your daughter's in Manhattan and she had a fall. She fell. I thought it was a prank call. I said, really? Because I knew it. Let me backtrack a little bit. At that point, we were watching her 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. And um, 
there's an educational institution in Crown Heights called JLI. You may have heard of it. Quite famous. And uh, Simmons' wife, Shandy, Simmons' wife works there as one of the 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 um, higher ups at, at JLI. And she gave Yechavit a volunteer job at JLI, which is literally a block and a half away from my house. And the idea was that Dini, my wife, would walk her, walk her there every day. And then when she was done, two hours later, she'd pick her up and walk her back. But aside from that, she we had eyes on her the entire time. She had no access to money. I'll explain to you in a second how she got around that to buy a ticket to go to the vessel. Uh, and she had no access to any kind of privacy whatsoever. And she and she complained about it, but she knew why it was necessary because this is part of a uh, a safety plan that was talked about in the in the hospital. And what had happened was that, um, and then within thirty seconds, I realized it was uh, it was a real call. And I shouted out to to Dini, who was exercising at the time. I shouted, "Where's your habit? We, we both knew. And I and said to my to, to Levy, my son, I said, "Go call Yatsi Langzam, my brother-in-law. Tell him to get over here. He's a very busy guy, but he he picked himself up and he came to our house. And uh, we found out later what had happened was that she she came to work." And literally within a few minutes, she said to a co-worker, um, I left something at home. I'm going to go home for a few minutes, and I'll be back in a few minutes. But she wasn't, she wasn't home in a few minutes. She went directly to the... Uh, she went directly to Manhattan. She knew exactly what she was doing. And uh, how did she get access to the, to the vessel? She didn't have any money. I mean, she had money, but she didn't have access to her money. I, I had her money. So... Remember what this is very close, like maybe a week before that, that she said to me, Hey, uh, do you mind just giving my credit card for a second? I want to buy a gift for my a friend of mine, which she did all the time. She'd buy friends' gifts. And I was sitting at my desk and she's sitting right there and she's sitting on her laptop. And I said, Sure, here's your credit card. Just give it right back to me. And she took the credit card and she gave it back to me. And then when I went to her email later on, what she had done was she'd created a draft email where she wrote down all the credit card information. So she was able to use that information to buy herself. A ten dollar ticket in order to get into the vessel. Why she chose the vessel, I have no idea. Possibly because what well, the access is just very to do the deed is very easy there. Uh and then my brother in law came came over and uh my wife and I we went to Manhattan and we were on the phone with the cop and uh, go to wherever the address of the vessel is, in Hatsanyards, which by the way, at that point, I don't know if you guys know about this area. I never heard of the area. I never heard of the vessel. I never heard of Hatsanyards. I never knew about any of this stuff. It's on 23rd and something. I don't know. He told you. He's telling me. Said, okay, we're rushing, rushing. I was staying in the car. Her brother-in-law said, this is, you know, we're not getting Manhattan for just a visit. You have because she fell. Obviously over. Yeah, my wife's in the back saying, tell him. Uh, five minutes before we got there, we get a call. Don't go there. Go to the precinct. 10th precinct. Go to the 10th precinct. And, uh, and obviously we were expecting us because there was a cop guarding the entrance to the precinct. And there were a lot of other people trying to get in and get out, and no one was let in. But as soon as we came and said, this is a Remy Dini Gloria, they made way for us. And someone immediately, like, such a blur now, that I don't know how it happened, but immediately they knew to then I straight up to the top floor, the captain, I guess, the, you know, the, the top guy in the, in the department. And he said, wait here. He was very chilled. He said, wait here. And he just waited. I think he made us wait for like 20 minutes and eventually took us into 
his conference room and he told us, had some questions for us and so on, but identifying marks. Kevin had made it very, um, very easy to, uh, well, the cops to, to figure out who to call. She wrote the ad's number and stuff. You know, she made it very easy for them. She had a note, you know, made it very easy for them. So uh, I remember um, my wife, well, I can remember that, that I was weeping um, quietly. Um, my brother was downstairs. I immediately sent a message to him, uh, telling him, the, telling the news. We had to stay with the cops for, for a while, and uh, I knew that he would take care of everything because, you know, thank God we come from a large sheep. My wife comes from a large supportive family, and I knew that they would take other brothers, members of the Chavakadisha, so I knew that they would, they would take care of it. And, and, and you asked me about that day, it's like the day is only that day is only felt two months later. Because that day is like, what just happened? What is, where, where are we? Why are we doing this? And uh, everybody did everything for us. And, uh, you know, and we went back home and uh, my brothers-in-law took care of everything. And then the people came over and uh, you know, close family, you know, spent time with us. And they were, the funeral was arranged for the next morning. And then we tried to go to bed. And this is the first time in two months that my wife is in my bedroom because she would spend... Uh, every night with Yecheven. And we're like there, and then we're tossing and turning, and then 4 a.m. in the morning is where we get the email. Yecheven had sent. That's, uh, that's the basic... Uh, that, that has, that, does that answer that question? Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, that's really... I'm sorry, that's really, like, in, inconceivable. It is inconceivable, even to me, till, till, till today. Let me ask you... On, on this note, um, a lot of times friends, family, um, relatives, right? When something like this happens or any tragedy for that matter, um, maybe even not a tragedy, but they want to be there to help. Yeah. They don't know how to help. Yeah. They don't know what's appropriate, what's yeah. not appropriate, you know, what's going too far, what's not, etc. Yeah. From someone who obviously is on far end of the spectrum who could really, really talk to this, yeah. right? What, is there any advice you could give to people that, you know, what is, how they should respond in these type of situations? It's on a day-to-day -day life? Day -day -day. Yeah, how they could be in a help. A month after, you know. A month you know, after this happens? First of all, within the first week or two, yeah. primarily, um, how they could be of help, you know, um, and what they should feel comfortable doing and what they definitely should not do, you know, because again, people get very awkward in these type of situations. They don't know how to handle these situations. Right. So I'm just wondering what 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 is someone who's been through something like this? What do you what does someone want to hear? Don't be afraid to talk about anything. I've lost a lot of friends because of what happened. How so? Close friends. What? I've lost a lot of close friends because of what happened, and I've made other friends. How so? Why would you lose friends? And if you know, I'll give an example. I went to Florida a year ago, um, and I met up with a friend who I've known for you know a long, long time, and uh, took me aside, and he had, and he hadn't been in contact with me for a year. This is a close friend. And he said to me, I just, I don't know what to say. I didn't have the words. I didn't know what to tell him. I, 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 please forgive me. I didn't know what to tell you. Mm -hmm. I said, that is fine, you know. So uh, in our case, thankfully, uh, Dini comes from a large family, very supportive emotionally, otherwise very, very supportive. So leading up to it, I thought your initial question was leading up to it. So, uh, you know, that's what one brother would say, family is family. It's very Brooklyn, Brooklyn kind of attitude, you know what I'm talking about. 
and he he was very good to her and uh, the family is very good to her very accepting so for example when she you know started dressing in a different kind of way whatever it's only support and love and uh, my message is yeah that's exactly it find a way to be supportive find a way to be loving get over the awkwardness and say, get get say the, the things get say the things exactly get over the awkwardness um what about it just as far as, I don't know, food, this, there's so many day-to-day things, I guess. We were taking care of, our, I, mean, I mean, just step in. And, and people just stepped up. Step in and, and ask and ask how you can yeah. be. Yeah, ask, yeah. What can I do to help? I think sometimes people almost feel like when something's so raw like that, like they almost don't want to, maybe they, there's like a fear of bringing it up because like, oh, I'm triggering the person, which it sounds ridiculous uh, to say. A lot but... of times people ask stupid questions, you know, that, that, that right. comedy on, on, on YouTube, the guy that thinks you don't say my shiva. Yeah, yeah, literally, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking. You know, so uh, I'm like the I'm like the Antichrist because I just lost my mother six weeks ago. Oh, I said Shiva six six weeks ago. I'm sorry. So people come up, and my mother was 87, 88. So you remember my mother? Yeah. So uh, if people would come come to Shiva, hey, your mother. What happened? <laughs> what happened? And I say uh, she got hit by a bus. Was that if you were just no? He's joking. No, I let, let it simmer for a little yeah. bit. Let them feel like an idiot. And yeah, yeah. Let them feel like an idiot. <laughs> no, she was ill for a very short amount of time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, that should. T- Why would you ask such a stupid question? Right. It's not the. You know. It's not someone. It's not what, what's important. Exactly. At all. Well, it's also not. Yeah, it's just not socially wise. Yeah. But I'm like the. I'm like my wife hates when I do this. You know. Yeah. Like I, that I create these. Like I bring it on. Okay, you want to be awkward? Bring it on. Yeah. I'll yeah. make you awkward. You know. Yeah. So uh, no, you make it clear that they're an idiot without telling them that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so messages, just, you know, what can I do for you? You know, I know you're going through a very hard time. Is there anything I can do for you? There's a couple that came over, you know, uh, from, they live in a different city whose son had passed away in, under similar circumstances. They just came and sat. You know, that's it. They didn't tell us what happened with their own son. We found it later, you know. And we're not very good friends. They were just there for us. Just be there for people. Just be present. Just be present. You know? Oh. So powerful. Um, I'm, 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 anything for Adina? I, I'm still honestly processing a lot of yeah. this conversation. I, I personally think I'm, I'm done. I mean, I can look at my, it's okay. my list of questions, but. I will say that when I walked into Shiva, I just said that I was there for the free food because there was so much food. I like went multiple times and I, I would just walk in and be like, all right, guys, it's dinner time. It's, it's time to You have eat. a very, uh, you have a wicked sense of humor. I could see. Um, yeah. By the way, is that a, something you also bonded with, Yochevin? Just like snark? It's snarky. Just yeah. the snark, the wit back and forth. I just wanted to say this. One of the ways that Adina proved and showed that she was not awkward was the fact that we still have this connection today. And that she's still, to this day, come over to us. Say Shabbosim. Really, yeah, uh, that's beautiful. Which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. I I appreciate it. And it's but it's, it goes beyond that. I think it goes, okay, you know, we're done. You know, that's it. No more, no more connection with the Gurairis. But no, she's maintained the connection, and she comes over. We invite her. She comes over. Have you entertained the possibility that she actually liked your company also as well? You and your wife. No, that'd be crazy. <laughs> that'd be crazy. <laughs> that'd be insane. I know, no. she, I know she likes my wife. Feeny's <laughs> amazing. I've heard. So I've heard you. your wife is incredible. You know, you also uh, super into music, like Yochevin was. Um, I love music. I'm not the same level as Yochevin oh, or I do remember. We, I do remember. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We are the way we bonded was truthfully over making really inappropriate jokes. Um, nice. Sometimes oh. about like, for example, after her second attempt that I had spent all day with her um I called her out we were having like a dinner date she was in the hospital I was at home we 
I think FaceTime. we were on the, I, it was FaceTime or whatever. And we were both eating dinner and she, I said, I was like, why, why wouldn't you just give me all the good books? Like I, I brought it up with her cause I was mad. And she was like, you know, your point is taken. I totally got that. And then I said, you know, when you die, I want my own personal note. Like I told her I wanted a suicide note. And she said to me, I can't give you one because there are other people that would expect their own personal one. And then she died a month later and I had asked her for one specifically and I'm still kind of annoyed. Like, why didn't I get my own? So look at the Instagram post, whatever. Well, I, I think that there's um, this idea of like getting past the awkwardness and like, you know, like someone's pain doesn't define them. It's their personality and their humor and the beauty. And also a death in a family does not define a family, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Forget about a death. Uh, there's so Anything. much stigma. Keep going off the dark, whatever. We live yeah. in a world where she does them this, that. I mean, let's just call it what it is. There's yeah. so much stigma. The family's not perfect. So I think at this point, like, there's so much, let's just call it, uh, so much dysfunction going around from a mental health standpoint that it's kind of a little bit less stigma than it was, let's say, when we were growing up. Still, I'm sure it exists, uh, you know? Yeah. Um, one random thing. I heard that. No, I heard through the grapevines. Zach, you want to go? You want to ask? Ask away. I I heard through the grapevines that you are a composer. You've composed songs and they used to. Not true? Not true. Do you ever have any affiliation to creating songs for Miami? Miami Boys Choir. I used to work for Echmo Began years ago. There's something we need to know. Because there's a very specific Miami Boys Choir song that got very famous. I wrote wrote the orchestration for that concert. Oh, you did? That concert? Yeah. What do you mean? I, actually, after it went viral, I, I checked on my computer if it was on my computer, and I saw that I saw that that exact range. Do so you realize that song has been listened by every non-Jew in the world right now? It's like the so, number. Uh, just, just understand. I, 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 what does that mean? The orchestration. It was that the specific video that went viral. That that was live concert. That concert. The music used at the concert. They were reading my my notes. You wrote literally what? wrote the literally music. wrote the notation music. notation. It wasn't my music. It wasn't my composition. The no, it's you. Actually, well, wrote it. Began, but it's all Lamos wrote the arrangement. But the actual guy that wrote the music for the musicians to to play. So you had a hand in. The, <laughs> this is. I mean, this is crazy. What was your thoughts when that like was coming out? You're like, yeah, that's me. That was my stuff. Great. Hey, <laughs> if it happens, you know, it's not my stuff because I, it's, it's it's called music copying. It's taking a score that someone else had written. I'm putting on a computer and dividing it up for the instruments. Okay, sure. That was my job. So it's more of like a tech kind of kind of job. Uh, but it was funny. I checked. I just checked to see if I was still involved because at a certain point we broke ways. Well, and I, I worked. Thing I worked for him for over ten years. Oh, so you uh, did a lot of work for me. Did, did a lot of work for him. Is all of your uh, musical work and uh, orchestration in the in the from music world? Yes. Okay. Cool. So you, no, nothing. You haven't done any work with Dylan yet. Would you work with Dylan if he wanted to? Will you orchestrate for his uh, show? Well, he 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 doesn't he doesn't have orchestral doesn't do orchestral stuff. I'm I'm into big orchestra stuff. That's right. So um, would I? Could I? Sure. I mean, well, why not? You know, it's, Bob, if you're listening, yeah, Bob. Bob. I mean, uh, <laughs> Robert. Producer. You know. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, this is. I mean, I found myself a niche. I mean, Jewish music is very busy today. You know, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot, yeah. Uh, a lot of movement, a lot of change, uh, a lot of good stuff, a lot of bad stuff. Just like in the in the, in in the, in the pop world. Mm-hmm. You should put him in touch with Rafi. That would be. Uh, yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I uh, watched that. Oh, you like that? Yeah, yeah you I, watched I really Rafi. Rafi's also very talented. A couple of things that he said that was just really touched me. Yeah. Um, Anyways. Yeah. Um, I really, really want to thank you, Adina, and you, Avrami, really, for coming over. Um, I, I did do a bunch of research. I, I looked over your Instagram, her Instagram, and I could just say, 
truly, she really, really seemed like just a really special neshama. Like, I mean Thank it. You. Like, just beauty. Like, I was looking at the pictures of her that you shared. Just that pureness in her eyes, honestly. So yeah, I... She was. It's, you know, unspeakable tragedy. And I really applaud you for going out there, putting yourself out there and talking about it. So many people would just curl up in a ball and just say, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to talk about this. So it's just, it's unbelievable to go out there and, you know, speak openly, candidly, with no shame, just say it how it is and make so much change in the community. So it's really, Spreading really a little light. Appreciate yeah, it. Tremendous. A light. Thanks, and, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate I, it. Yeah, of course. I, Thank I would you hope already. I can come for a Shabbat meal. I would, please do. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time. Okay, Nadine, you're going to make sure to be there, right? Oh, of course. Okay. Let me tell you, this is a great Shabbat matter. We're making a, a lot of friends from this podcast. Where everyone who comes on is like, like Leah was uh, here last week, Leah Forster, <laughs> and she's like, you guys, like, can you guys come to our show? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And then uh, Ben Lerner was here <laughs> yeah. with us. He's like, we have a show. We're going like every yeah. person. We're just collecting free shows yeah, and, and Shabbat meals. Free Shabbos meals, man. Yeah, that's why we do it. Yeah. That's why we do it. But you live in my neighborhood, so why not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. why not? Guys, okay. thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you, Thank you everyone. Thank you, Adina. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Take care. All right.